Today's teaching text comes from Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would have come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went to his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone let them go for if their purpose or activity is of human origin it will fail but if it is from god you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against god his speech persuaded them they called the apostles in and had them flogged then they ordered them not to speak in the name of jesus and let them go the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, 
they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, Trinity Grace Church family and anyone else who's tuning in with us. Uh, we are coming this week to the end of our Eastertide season. Uh, it's, uh, everyone, anyone else feel like they're out of adjectives for how to describe this? It's been a strange time, uh, but I think it's been a grace-filled season as well. And next week is Pentecost, where we remember and celebrate and, uh, and revel in the coming of the Holy Spirit. So looking forward to that. I've been spending the evenings in my home in these interesting days after everyone's gone to sleep, sitting up and, and reading. There's something about uh, the quietness in my house after everyone's asleep that uh, feels a little more uh, sacred and important um, during, during these days. And so I've been churning through some books that have been sitting around my house for, for years that I hadn't picked up. I finished reading The Road by Cormac McCarthy uh, this past week, very late to the party on, on that one. I'd seen the movie uh, years ago, and uh, like I said, just been sitting around the house. I finally picked it up. And I absolutely devoured it. Um, there are some astonishing sentences in that book. Um, it won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for a reason. I will say it is not an emotional pick-me-up. It is a bit of a downer. Uh, it's about uh, sort of uh, on the surface. It's about survival uh, in this post-apocalyptic world. It did make me want to be better at camping. Um, but the, the book really is about love. Uh, it is about a father and a son and how love can keep us going and how love um, gives us meaning. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but this is something, of course, right, that happens in all the best stories, right? We realize the actual action of the plot is only a small portion of what is going on. And a lot of the story is happening uh, on, on another level. When we think about a book or a movie or a show being shallow, uh, what we usually mean is that it's only appealing to us on one, on one level. Like all, all, all that's happening is what is happening. Um, but with a great story, what is happening in the plot is often playing host to so many other layers and levels um, uh, and showing us what, what it is to be a human being, what it is to live in the world, what it is to love and to struggle and, and, and to make it through. And, and when you read this, this passage that we just read in Acts 5, right, on the surface of the passage, we have some thrilling plot, right? There's a lot going on. We have arrests. We have a miraculous jailbreak. We have this uh, sort of pompous, uh, self-inflated political power that gets embarrassed. Um, we have wisdom on display from the sage voice. We have dramatic foreshadowing. We have some tales of formerly failed uprisings. We have uh, a beating. And then we have this um, sort of expression of subversive and suffering love. And yet, Underneath all of the action of these, of these few verses are these deeper level questions. And questions like, how is God at work in the world? Uh, what is a full life for human beings? Um, why does suffering show up so much in our lives? And then how could someone be joyful in suffering? Those are huge questions, and I think they're right under the surface of the action here. Um, those, of course, aren't even all the questions that you, you could you know, try to pull out of this narrative. But one of the reasons I love the scriptures so much is that they work this way, right? There's, the, there's a depth, there's a richness, there's a layered meaning that reading after reading we can still explore, right? Even the claim of the scriptures is that they are living and active. 
um, that, that God speaks through the, the black and white written words on the page, that the living voice of God can come through that. And I just want you, I know you're watching on a screen and it may not be the most ideal conditions, but I want you to consider that this morning or whenever you're listening, um, that God may have something specific to say to you today. Think about that. The God of the universe may have something very specific to say to you, to your life, to your situation, to your heart. Uh, right now. So I want to look at the, at the questions, the, the sort of human level questions that this story raises. Uh, of course, we're not going to fully exhaust them all. Don't panic. Um, but the moment that my mind has been returning to over and over again from, from, from this passage as I've been living with it is where we read at the end. It says the disciples uh, were absolutely celebrating. They had just been beaten. They had just been flogged um, in a public and humiliated, humiliating way, and they were full of joy. Whereas the rulers were safe, they were still in power, in a sense they were comfortable, but they were miserable. They were immensely frustrated. So on one hand, you have these disciples who've just been beaten and they're celebrating, and, and, and the people in power are comfortable, and yet they're, they're, they're miserable and frustrated. That, that, I think that dynamic is, is interesting. On one level, it's mind-blowing. I think it's worth exploring. So I want to look at those, those questions that this narrative raises, and we're, we're going to move through them quickly, and I want to land... Uh, at the end on this question, how is it the disciples are able to suffer with such joy? So we're only in Acts 5. Uh, some incredible things have, have been happening. The new church has been birthed. We're going to celebrate that in earnest next week. Um, the movement of Jesus is growing at an incredible rate. Uh, people's lives are being transformed. Uh, many are having life-changing encounters with, with the person of Jesus, a person who, by the way, uh, had, people had seen publicly executed, right? This is the Easter message, the Easter hope. Uh, resurrection is not just something that we look back to and say, this happened then, therefore we have hope. It is, it is the, the beauty and the power and the reality that this Jesus is alive and you can have a personal encounter, a, a real ongoing relationship. This, this Jesus can come and speak to you today. Um, that, that, that's the miracle that was taking place in first century Jerusalem. That's the miracle that's taking place in, in, in Brooklyn in, 20, in 2020. So um, in the passage just before we began to read this morning, we see this. This is Acts 5.14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, uh, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So phenomenal things are happening in the early church. And I said one of the questions, the action of the story raises is how is God at work in the world? And we begin to see some answers being formulated here. I think there's a couple of ways to get an answer to that question. The first is God is continuing what he's always been doing. God is continuing his work of repairing the world through covenant love. This is what we see pouring out of the heart of Yahweh all through the Hebrew scriptures, right? This is something that God has been doing since all the way back in, in Genesis. God's promise, God's plan has been to bring heaven and earth together. That's what we see um, so beautifully depicted in the, in, the, in the poetry of the creation narrative is that, that uh, God's glory is there in the natural world. God's presence is there in the natural world. Human beings are walking in this sort of ecosystem of beautiful harmony and relationship with God, with one another, with the world. Um, 
And God's plan has been from the moment that was broken and sort of brokenness rifled through all of it, 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 it is to bring heaven and earth back together. That means repair. That means redemption. That means renewal, right? Joining God in the renewal of all things is, is our mission, right? That means salvation uh, for us. It also means healing for the world. Where there has been relational brokenness, God is about relational uh, healing and redemption. So one thing uh, that God is doing in the world is He's continuing the work He's always been doing, but in this story we begin to see God is carrying that work forward, that work of redemption in a new way through the person of Jesus, right? Through the person of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, through this newly forming community, we, we, we are seeing uh, th- this redemption sort of accelerated and, and moving forward, and there's a new way we can relate to God. But just as was promised, this is happening right in the middle of Israel. It is happening right on the, on the porch of, of the temple, right? Jesus shows up Uh, as the promised Messiah of Israel, first in the story, before we even learn that He is Savior of the world, right? But obviously not everyone receives that uh, with open arms, right? A totally new way of being a human being uh, or or a totally new way of encountering God uh, may sound great unless you were given power by the previous system, unless you were a winner in the other story, right? And so there was a huge part of the religious ruling class that was outraged, right? So our, our passage begins, Acts 5, 17, Then the high priest and all of his associates, right, his whole entourage, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy, right? Their world is being stripped from them. Their power is being pulled away. People are not paying attention in the same way. We shouldn't rush past, right, the emotional pain of that moment. Um, Some of what we see out out of these characters in in, in the text are really understandable emotions for what's going on. So they arrested the apostles and put them in, in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Sorry, fellas. Uh, the apostles get arrested, right? We see there is an increasing resistance to the movement of Jesus. We've already seen a little later in the story with Stephen and Philip. We know that resistance is going to intensify. We know people's lives are going to be lost. And quite frankly, Acts is a difficult book to study if you're looking for answers to questions like, when will God get me out of jail? Right? Sometimes God directly intervenes. Uh, other times, uh, followers of Jesus are, are left in jail. They seem to be languishing there. Sometimes the reason is obvious. Sometimes the reason feels very obscure. But here in the church, in, in, in its infancy, in Acts 5, we see God step in immediately. Right? There's a dramatic rescue. Almost like God says, hang on a minute. I refuse for this movement to be snuffed out. No matter how much power those in power have, um, what the apostles are doing is declaring how God is at work in the world, right? So just to remember, we're saying the kingdom of God is growing as the message of Jesus, his life, his death and resurrection is being proclaimed, but not just in words, in power, in the, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that can come and fill our lives with the life of God. And people are being healed by that message and that reality inside and out, right? This is Yahweh's plan, the overlap of heaven and earth. And that brings up our second question, which is, what is full life for human beings, right? I love how the angel describes, uh, after he, you know this miraculous prison break, how he describes to the apostles what they're to get back to doing. He, he, he says, Acts 5.20, Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. 
God's priority is obvious, right? That these apostles continue to speak and not be hindered. But I think you can just get a glimpse into the enthusiasm of heaven here. It's like almost like the angel himself doesn't even fully have the language for what to for how to describe this. Tell the people all about this new life. The followers of Jesus, these apostles, are not just sharing, hey, here's a few new ideas about God that you might want to consider. They're sharing a whole new way of being a human being, a whole new way of living. Right? The accomplishment of Jesus' death and resurrection and the filling of the Holy Spirit was making people alive in a way they had not been alive before. That's why right, the metaphors for what it means to, to, to come into relationship with God in this way, we, we sort of balk at things like being born again, perhaps that language hits your ears funny, but there's, there's no other way to describe it. It's like you're alive in a fundamentally different way than you were before. And Jesus had said when he was walking around, when he was teaching, that he could give life and give it to the full. Right? And we know from his teaching that, that part of what that meant was loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, being sort of in the center of this nexus of, of relationship and harmony, right? Uh, this beautiful picture of the overlap of heaven and earth, like we saw in the Genesis stories before things were, were, were broken. But no one can do this on their own. And so that's what the movement of Jesus' redemption is all about his life, his death, his resurrection means that the barriers between us and God have been removed. And now the filling of the Holy Spirit is applying that victorious work of Jesus and his life, deaths, and Easter message to, to anyone who believes. And, and, and even raising us up, awakening our hearts to believe. So the good news is that Jesus has removed what separated us from God. And we can receive this, this as salvation, as relationship healing, as sort of this world-renewing love in our hearts. The results of it were astonishing. That's what the first chapters of Acts are all about. These mind-blowing stories of these ecosystems of love being being born in the world. These little outposts of the kingdom of God. And you know what? The results of the resurrection, the results of of the covenant love of God poured through the person of Jesus and by the Spirit, they're still astonishing. I mean, the, the video of what's going on at Roots Cafe right now is, is a beautiful picture of an ecosystem of God's love, right? The inflow of love, the outflow of love, the faith, the believing, the surrendering, right? We didn't have any, anything except these empty tables and we put them together and all of a sudden we had a gathering space where needs could be met, right? And, and people are fanning out across the borough to, to meet their neighbors, right? Sometimes there's a language barrier, but there's not a love barrier. As you hand those, those baskets of food across, across the threshold of someone's home, it is still astonishing to see the power of this resurrection love breaking out in the world. But we know now, we see it in the story then, the nature of the world as it is means this redemption, this healing, this love does not flow without resistance. And so the, the, the painful reality the story brings up, our experience brings up is why does suffering have to show up? Why is there so much suffering in our lives? And of course, I, I, we're not going to exhaust that question today. But one reason, at least one reason that suffering shows up in our lives so much is that the brokenness that has come from our separation from God, this theological reality, ha- has a relational impact, ha- has a physical impact in all, all the areas of, uh, of our world. Our separation from God has impacted everything. The scriptures continue to insist on this. The world is broken and our desires and its systems often run contrary to God's love and God's way in the world. Right? We see this happening. Power gets distorted. 
Our own appetites run amok. Uh, greed eats at us, or, or d- d- depression drains us, anxiety attacks us, disease ravages, right? We can't seem to escape our cycles of violence, right? Our, our, our loves get twisted by, by lust, right? Whether it's from you know, all-out wars to small white lies, we, we see um, the story of brokenness in our world, in our own lives, told and retold. And so as the kingdom of God breaks in, as beautiful as it is, it meets resistance right away. But even more than that, just living, (laughs) you may be feeling this, just living in a broken world, we meet resistance, right? We get exhausted, we get sick, we lose motivation, we lose loved ones. Why why are we experiencing the pandemic of of COVID-19? Right, and, and that's a complicated question to even try to begin to answer. But the broad scriptural answer, or at least one of them, is that we live in a world that has been damaged by the fall, and it is groaning for healing and redemption. In many, many ways, the world is not as it should be, and so we suffer. Right, and, and uh, of course, that's that's more broad than these disciples specifically being arrested for proclaiming the message of Jesus 2,000 years ago in, in, in the center of Jerusalem. But both of those things point to the reality that the world is not simply a neutral place, right? The scriptures are asking us to have an honest look at things, an honest look at our hearts. So we do, we suffer, we meet resistance, and we have to be honest about that. So just for a second, let's remember what we've said so far, right? The apostles are arrested, then they are miraculously broken out of jail because uh, divine power is released. God is saying, this is how I am at work in the world, and it won't be snuffed out. Right, then we have this sort of pompous display of power. Uh, you sort of see like the, you know, the rulers finally get into to, 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 their, to their, their seats of authority and they're like, send for the apostles. And they're like, uh, they're missing. Oh, as a matter of fact, they're actually out doing the thing you arrested them for. So they, they get embarrassed. The apostles are back. They're preaching this new life, this, this full new way of being a human being, even though they know they're gonna meet resistance. They already have. They've already been thrown in jail, right? Peter preaches a message and it causes the rulers to absolutely lose it, right? We're right back to where they were with Jesus. It says, uh, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now, just for a second, I want to quickly note, because you remember when the high priest around the trials around Jesus, he said this very thing. Listen, this isn't, in a sense, like this isn't what we want to do, but it's better that this one man die for the, for, for the whole community than, the, than, than Rome squash all of us, right? And so he sort of rationalized his violence. We do this sometimes with, with, with sin, with going our own way or going the way of the world as opposed to the way of God and God's love. And you see it here. There's a compounding power of sin, right? We think we're gonna get in. We're gonna stay in control. We rationalize this choice. It's just going to be this. But, but many times we find that it is actually way too much for us. It becomes an addiction that has our hearts. It becomes an obsession that has our desires. It becomes a malformed way of living and, and, and distorted habits and practices. And all of a sudden it's, it's more than we can deal with on our own. We see it happening to these people in power. Then all of a sudden we have this unexpected voice of, of wisdom on display. Gamaliel, who was a renowned rabbi. We know um, that he had some hand in the training of Saul of Tarsus, and he begins to to say, hang on a minute, guys. Listen, we've had uprisings before. He tells the story of a few failed uprisings. There's some dramatic foreshadowing.
foreshadowing. And then once uh, the rulers are convinced that they're going to let the apostles go, they store sort of almost like a spoiled child, right? You, you, I talk with my kids sometimes like, no, you have to give that back. And then you, they throw it back. Just like, this is still, I still have a little thing going here. Um, we, we, we see uh, that they, they actually... Um, uh, have the apostles flogged. And so we end this passage with this expression of suffering, but also very subversive love. And we come back to the question I told you we would return to, which is how could someone be joyful while suffering? Acts 5, 40-42, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So the Sanhedrin listens to the words of Gamaliel, but they still have the apostles flogged. They don't seem to be learning. They still seem to still be maneuvering. And then we have this final picture. The apostles are full of joy because they had suffered in the way of Jesus. And those who are in safety and comfort actually seem to be miserable. So what's going on here? I, I want to say the apostles had perspective on their suffering. They had a larger story to, to set their pain in. And inside of that larger story, the pain was not a disgrace, but an honor, right? That, of course, doesn't mean that they were uh, unfeeling robots, right? We couldn't relate to them if, if, if they, they didn't feel the agony of what they went through, right? The flogging was humiliating. It was, it was certainly painful. It just means they had another way to see it, and that changed how they suffered. We, we, we see glimpses of this dynamic in the New Testament from time to time. Romans 8 is a place where it's on display. Listen, listen to these words. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. They had some sense of that larger narrative, that they, they were suffering with Christ, that they were having a share in his sufferings. The reality is, more than likely, you and I are not going to be publicly flogged for identifying with Jesus. But there is a way, as those who are filled with the Spirit, whose, who, whose our spirits testify that we are, we are brought into union with God through what Christ has done, we still have a share in suffering with Christ in the suffering of this world. That means we endure uh, what we experience in a broken world, the wounds that are inflicted on us, and even sometimes the wounds we inflict on others, we endure that with Christ. We don't go our own way. We don't choose selfishness and, and, and choose against love. We, we, we suffer with Christ. We endure and we continue with our Savior, with the Messiah, with the person of Jesus. But also, it, it means sharing in His sufferings means that we, there are times, many times, where we deny ourselves our old way of life, our old way of reasoning, our malformed desires, our old habits, we deny those things in order to take up the way of Jesus, right? That's what uh, part of what it means to bear our cross with Christ is that we 
we, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And there is no comparison, right? The present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. So they suffered, but they suffered with perspective, and that meant they did not give up. And that's the last thing I want to mention. Acts 5, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They, they're suffering. In their suffering, they have perspective and they had endurance. They just didn't give up. Sometimes that's all we can do, right? There are moments where we see incredible results, right? The healings that were taking place just before this story, right? The, the Roots Cafe story is a, is a tremendous example of the ecosystem of the kingdom of God at work in the world. We get to see life change. We get to see even miracles at times. And then some days, it's enough simply not to give up, not to cave in, not to throw in the towel, right? And it says they gathered in public, but there was great resistance, and they also gathered in homes. Sound familiar? No matter what, they didn't stop proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one we've been waiting for, the promised one from all the way back in Genesis. He is the one who gives full life. What does it mean to flourish and thrive as a, a human being fully alive? It means to be in this harmonious nexus of relationship with God and with one another. It, 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 he is the one uh, with whom we can follow in suffering love. He helps give perspective to the difficulty and the suffering we experience in the world. He is one who gives us a share in a kingdom that is so glorious and so beautiful, such an inheritance, co-heirs with Christ, that what we're enduring now is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that we are going to share with Him in. Church, I want to tell you as we wrap up this Easter season, Put your hope in Jesus. Be courageous to let your life point to Christ. How many people know what Jesus is really like, what the love of God is really like through your life? What, what an incredible thing. Know that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tremendously difficult at many, many points, but absolutely will be worth it. This is our Easter hope. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would flood every place that this message is being heard with a sense of your nearness, uh, with the embrace of your love, with the filling of your Holy Spirit. We stand confidently on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, what he has done for us in, in the gospel. And we, we know, Holy Spirit, that you come and convict and lead and direct and guide and comfort. You are our advocate. So come now, minister these truths to us, God. Help us remember how you are at work in the world. Help us remember that it is always going to be through resistance that we progress in love. But, but may we be willing to suffer with perspective, God, in any difficulty, God. I know people are dealing with loss of jobs and loss of life and uncertainty and difficulty, God. We are in this collective sort of moment across our world of, of, of agonizingly saying, what's next? What's happening, God? We need you to move in. Give us perspective. Give us endurance. Speak to us. Help us learn to suffer with you. Come, Holy Spirit, lift up your church, bind up our wounds, speak to our hearts, encourage our minds, give us energy, give us strength. As we end this Easter season, may we go on in the power of the resurrection. The same Spirit that raised you, Jesus, from the dead lives in us. May we believe that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, church.